are you guys doing? Well, we're going to go into some uh, into the mysterious realm today of Revelation chapter four, and I think it's going to be pretty exciting. You guys ready? Well, first, let's get a chance to uh, get to know each other at our tables a little bit. So, if you don't know the person, um, well, I see you guys. You look like you're married and you're only people. So this will be like a date night here. So very good. So um, yeah, this will be a funny question for a married couple. But uh, what is something most people don't know about you? I guess you could, uh, you could just do it, but yeah. What is something most people don't know about you? Share it at your table, introduce yourself. We'll see you in a few minutes. All right, let's take about another 30 seconds.
All right, let's start to bring it back together here. People get louder when you do that. I like that. So <laughs> it's opposite day. All right, let's get going here. We are in a series on the book of Revelation called The Unveiling. And so the first book, the first verse of the book of Revelation says that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation can also be translated as unveiling. So this book is literally an unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now listen, guys, if the other 65 books of the Bible are about Jesus, right? Jesus said the whole Old Testament points to him. The New Testament is all about him. If the other 65 books are about him, then I got to believe that the last book of the Bible is also about him, especially when it tells you in the first verse, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, many people don't read it this way. They read it with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, and they're seeing all sorts of events and Nephilim and all sorts of craziness going on. But this is about Jesus. It's a book of hope, all right? So um, it's a book full of symbols, and the symbols are interpreted by the other 65 books of the Bible. So whenever you're reading the Bible, guys, the Bible isn't just like 66 books crammed together. It's really one book. And so when you're reading the Bible, listen for echoes of Scripture in other passages. All right? So we're getting ready to read Revelation chapter 4. Is this sound okay? Is it kind of... All right? Okay. As we read Revelation chapter 4, listen and see if you can hear echoes of when Moses went up to the Mount Sinai and got the revelation of the, uh, of the tabernacle and the law, okay? So listen for echoes. We're gonna, I'll help you through it here in a second, but just be listening for that, right? Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After, after this, after what? After chapters 1 through 3, after they've repented and renewed their mind. Wow, we got a wow already. We're only two, we're, we're only two, two words in. All right, this is, this is good. You know what, guys? You know, we do need to keep that attitude of wow as we're going through this. Revelation is not a book to argue over, to master, to even understand everything. It's a book to be mastered by. It's a book where you see scenes on earth. Sometimes they look a little chaotic. When you get up to heaven, everything's okay. Worship, throne room, angels, everything is fine up there. They are not panicked over COVID up there. They're not panicked over the $3.5 trillion bill they're trying to pass. They're okay. Okay, and where are we supposed to be seated? What perspective are we supposed to have? So just as we're going through these things, guys, these are, I was, I was talking with Mary last night, these are sacred mysteries. We're getting a picture of how the universe actually runs. And so just as we're doing this, let's just position our heart for worship and not for just intellectual curiosity. Are we good? So I thank you for that wow, whoever said that wow. After this, I looked and behold, and behold, you guys are quick learners. And behold, a door standing open in heaven. If you remember how chapter 3 ended, Jesus was knocking on the door of your heart. Remember that? And he invited you to come sit on your throne. Now the door swings open, and you're going into the throne room. Has anyone figured out where the throne room is yet? It's inside of you. We'll get there. I'll, I'll, you don't have to take my word for it. We'll get there here, all right? I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. After what? After the renewing of your mind. After you, after you leave that candlestick realm of the church and move into the throne room, into the holy of holy realm. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. These are two gemstones. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance, appearance of an emerald. Verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 
Boy, do you know anyone else who's seated in heavenly places who has white garments and has been crowned? Yeah, yeah. Jesus and us is both the right answer. How we doing? <laughs> From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. I like how it's not an eagle sitting there, it's an eagle in flight. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. Worship begets worship in heaven. Whenever there's an atmosphere of worship in you, you can actually spread it to a room. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Well, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Let's just move on to chapter 5. How about that? <laughs> all right? So, all right, let's go back. Let's listen for those echoes. And so in Exodus, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. And remember, there's a trumpet blast summoning him that. Remember, we just heard there's a trumpet blast. He goes in there. There's peals of thunder. There's lightning as he's walking into this, he's going into this realm and uh, he goes into the presence of God, and he saw something. And uh, God says, what you, what you saw up in heaven is the real thing. I want you to go and make a scale model, <clears throat> an earthly model of this heavenly reality. And so he gave him the blueprint for the tabernacle. Are you guys seen that? You guys remember what the tabernacle looked like? <clears throat> there is no good pictures of the tabernacle online. <clears throat> I spent a long time searching. They're like hand-drawn. Some of them have like these like Lego figures. I'm like, I'm not doing that to my people. So I would just use your imagination, all right? Let's start where um, let's start where the, the Bible starts here with the throne room. Okay, so in the uh, in the, um, the the tabernacle was this portable tank san tent sanctuary, and it had three parts to it. The most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, it was that um, that Ark made out of acacia wood, overlaid with gold. There was two cherubims on either side, and, in, and there was a blood stain because the the priest would apply the blood there. And this was literally the mercy seat of Israel. The throne of God is his mercy seat. God rules from a throne of grace. And so in between these two cherubim was this uncreated light. It was the Shekinah glory of God. The very presence of God hovered there. God is everywhere, but he concentrated himself in this un, uncreated, brilliant light. Okay? So here you've got the throne of God. Inside the, um, inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's budded rod. But we're not going to talk about all that. Okay, so you've got, so the very center of Israel was the, was the Ark of the Covenant. Right beyond that is this thick curtain, and this thick curtain represented a barrier, which you could not get into except once a year, and on this, uh, on this barrier was uh, angels, was engraved of angels, worshiping, flying all around. Right butted up against the throne room is the altar of incense, a picture of praise and worship. Off to the right, so okay, so we're... We're in the most holy place. Once we hit the curtain, we're in the holy place. We're in the second dimension. This is the candlestick dimension, okay? So you got the altar. Are we okay? We got the altar of incense here. Over on your right would be the seven-branched candlesticks. This is the picture of the seven spirits of God. 
It's, uh, there's lots of pictures in that. We went over that in chapter 1. Over here, we've got the table of showbread. It was a table with 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then we go into the outer dimension or the outer court. In the outer court, there was a, a, a basin that was filled with water. Remember, this is where the priests, after they did the sacrifice on the brazen altar, their hands would be covered in blood. And before they could come in and worship, they would wash their hands in this basin, and it was, it was made out of mirrors. And so here's literally the picture. As you're coming into the presence of God, as they're washing their hands in blood, never look at yourself apart from the blood of Christ as you're coming into his presence, okay? So, that, so we've got the holy place with the Ark of the Covenant. We've got the, I'm sorry, we've got the most holy place with the Ark of the Covenant. This is the throne room of God. Outside of that, you have the most holy place, the, the candlestick realm. This is where Jesus was interacting with the churches. Jesus was walking among the candlesticks in chapters 2 and 3. This is the church realm. This is the realm of the spirit, the gifts, revelation, all the things we talked about in, the, in chapter 1. Then we have the outer court. But outside of that, what did you have? When Israel was at rest, they actually uh, camped in the form of a cross. Now, the furniture inside the tabernacle was in the form of a cross. And when Israel was at rest, they were in the form of a cross. So we have a cross within a cross. Now, you have the 12 tribes of Israel that camped out, and they camped in groups of three. Each one of the three had, they had, this, one of the, they had the four strongest tribes on each side, north, south, east, and west, so it formed a cross. They had the two weaker tribes with them, and each one of the tribes had a, had a banner that they waved. One of the tribes had a banner that was a lion. The other one had a tribe that was an ox. The other banner was a man, and the other one was a flying eagle. Are we hearing some echoes here? Are you seeing what Moses came back and built in miniature is actually a scale model of the reality of heaven? Interestingly enough, um, there was one tribe that wasn't included in the 12 tribes. It was the Levites. The Levites were actually between the, the people encamped and the outer court, and they camped around them. And in David's day, in 1 Chronicles 24, tells us that they were, in, um, they were in groups of 24 around the throne. How are we doing? Are we hearing some echoes here? All right. Did I get enough there? So here we go. So, uh, so it begins with there's this door open in heaven. Uh, there's no Mount Sinai here, but he enters into this realm. There's this trumpet voice. He sees, behold, a throne. He sees something like a sea of glass. Perhaps that's the labor. The, 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 the sea of glass, perhaps that's like the labor. 24 thrones. Okay, I think we got it. All right, you guys starting to get the feeling of it as we're entering into this realm here. Okay, this, this is the center of the universe. It's actually pretty interesting how Israel camped, um, you know, was the, uh, you know, the most holy place. The, the 24 elders around the throne, the four living creatures around, around the throne, and then you have the rest of the world. And God's saying, this is literally how the universe is organized. God is at the center of everything with his people around it, supposed to spread the message to the rest of the planet. How are we doing? All right, so let's go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to cover all 11 verses here, and I hope you got your running shoes on. I'm just going to do my best here, but we're, this is so precious stuff. This is good stuff. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So again, the first three chapters of Revelation, the church was, we were in that candlestick realm. Jesus is walking among the churches, and now we're, uh, that was the second room of the tabernacle. And then Jesus says, get these words of repentance, and I'm inviting you to come up here. 
to come to a different place. After you repent, after you, after you move through these things in the candlestick realm, guys, I've got some good news. Jesus isn't done with the candlestick realm, but he's inviting you into something that he's already paid for and that you already have inside of you. He's inviting us to grow up into who we already are, moving into the throne room realm. Or can we just call it the, th the throne zone? No one else is going to call it that. We might as well call it that, right? So uh, John's focus changed. And so uh, Jesus was among his churches, and now John's focus is changing to Jesus among his glory, among, among the heavenly realm, the ultimate reality. And here we have in verse 1, you have a handwritten invitation from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit to experience the throne room zone. He's knocking on your door, and he's saying, come up here. So what do we have to do to get into this throne room zone? We've got to get into some ecstatic state, get rid of all the sin. Well, what do we need to do? You know, uh, the, book, the Song of Solomon is actually kind of parallels the book of Revelation in a lot of ways. And it, it gives a great instruction there. It, it starts with these two words, let him. It starts off, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And it's not something we have to do to get in. You're already in. Now it's a matter of recognizing, of allowing God to bring us into this realm, to give us revelation about this realm. It's not this works thing, okay? Christ is inviting us to rise up into the spirit and enter his throne. We must accept the invitation. Some of you didn't know you're invited. Now you know you're invited. Will you allow him to bring us into a different realm? Guys, I actually believe God will. I mean, I, I think I said this in a vision message back in 2011, that I saw a time where actually our entire church is going to be brought into throne room encounters during worship. Not just in our imagination by experience, where God's going to do this. He wants us actually to come into this realm. This is the realm of ruling and reigning. This is where you're seated in heavenly places. This is where authority is. Okay? So, we, yeah. The other realms are important. But you see what he's calling us into. Let's talk about the door. All right? A door, it was a door beyond the physical senses. He actually entered into a spirit realm and saw a spiritual reality. He saw heaven. He began to discern, discern things that were not of this earth, okay? So what is the door? Did anybody in the Bible ever say, I am the door? Who, who was that? What are we doing? We're listening for echoes, okay? We don't just get to make up our own things of what we think this means. We're listening for echoes. The open door is Jesus. Guys, hear this. He is the only legal access into the spirit realm. People are like, who's your spirit guide? Jesus. That's it. You have another spirit guide, you're in doctrines of demons. Okay? I'm, yeah. So. All right, let's just leave it at that. But I, I, don't think we, I don't think it can be any more clear. All right? The only access for the believer into the spirit realm is Jesus Christ. It's not meditation. It's Christ. It's not mantra. It's Christ. It's not just your imagination. It's Christ. Okay? He himself becomes the door that swings open. So Jesus, who is the door to salvation, becomes this portal for John, and he comes through into this throne room experience. The word for door could also be translated as gate or portal. So what happens when you go through a door or you go through a gate? You go from one realm into another realm. You know, if in, in our house, if I went from the basement into the kitchen, there's new things available to me in the kitchen that weren't available to me in the basement. It's a new realm, okay? Are you guys ready for this? Heaven is not a place, it's a realm, Okay? It's a realm that exists within you. I mean, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. I mean, I got, I got 36 length sleeves, and so it's at least 36 inches away, but it's also in here. Now, I'm not taking away a future heaven. I'm, I'm, it's going to be more wonderful than we can imagine. Listen, we need a new heaven, and we need a new earth. 
But right now, we have access to the reality, to the realm of heaven now. So we have to stop thinking in geographical terms if we're going to kind of get, get these pictures, these images that we're getting from Revelation. We need to think in terms of a realm. So if God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, right? How are you going to put him on a throne? Because the throne itself is a metaphor of his ruling, of his reign. We're going to see what that means. Are we okay? All right. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Again, after this doesn't speak chronologically. It speaks of another realm. After the realm of the candlestick, after the things that we just talked about in chapters 2 and 3, there'll, uh, there'll be an entrance for the portal of a different realm, the throne zone. For, uh, Revelation 4.2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. I love that it's behold a throne. This was a time of intense persecution. John's literally sitting in a prison on the island of Patmos writing this thing. And wouldn't it, I mean, it looked like Christianity had failed. Rome was kicking butt. They're putting believers in jail. They're killing them. You know, uh, Nero's lighting them on fire, uh, burning their bodies to light up his garden. I mean, horrible things are happening. Can you imagine the good news of seeing ultimate reality that, you know what, there's a throne. What does a throne represent? Ruling, reigning, authority, dominion, power, right? The first thing we discern in the heavenly realm is God is in charge and he's got everything. Everything's just fine. It may not look like you're here on earth, but he has, guys, everything is going to work out beautifully. We win in the end, okay? I don't mean to spoil it to you when we get to chapter 22, but it's actually very good news. Behold a throne. There's someone in control. And it wasn't the emperor Domitian or the emperor Nero or whoever you believe what was the emperor whenever this was written. I'm not going to argue about the date. It isn't the tech companies or the politicians or the drug cartels. Far above all that Rome will ever do. Far above all the Republicans will ever do, the Democrats will ever do, the COVID vaccine will ever do, the Illuminati, which I'm not sure is real, will ever do. God is ultimately in charge. The throne is mentioned 17 times in chapters 4 and 5 to reinforce to you and me, he's in charge. It's going to be okay. And when you think of the throne, and we're going to see the brilliance and the awesomeness of it, but I want you to also remember, it's the mercy seat of the tabernacle between the wings of the cherubim. It is a blood-stained seat, the blood-spring mercy seat where he meets with us. It's also the throne of grace in Hebrews 4.16. He says we can boldly come to the throne of grace in our time of trouble. So guys, this, this person, there's a man, Jesus, ruling the universe from this throne of grace, and we literally can come to him in our time of trouble. So stop your whining. How are we doing? If you're complaining and whining, I guarantee you haven't been to the throne of grace. If you saw clearly what's available, you'd know it's going to be okay. He has what you need. I think I mentioned this, so I want to mention it again. The throne is not a geographical location. The throne is in you. Uh, remember in chapter 3, remember again, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, the door swings open, you're in the throne room, okay? It's a realm. The throne is in you. How many elders were sitting around the throne? It's not a trick question. 24. How many ribs do you have? 24. How are we doing? The place you're getting into is who you already are. You are already seated in heavenly realms, now come and take your place. This is who you are, this is where you are, and when you read Revelation, just hear the words, welcome home. 
Then John describes the one who sits in the throne. Can you believe we're at verse 3? It is quiet in here, I tell you what. <laughs> Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. You're like, I don't know if it's really in me. It is, and it's out there, and it's everywhere. If God's omnipresent and he's on his throne. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we see that his, his throne has wheels. Why? Because it's mobile. It goes everywhere. Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I love this because he's the one sitting on the throne. They didn't describe a form. They just described his brilliance. Ancient Jasper had a diamond-like brilliance. And so John says when he looked at the throne, the throne was filled with this flashing, blazing, this Shekinah glory of God is what he's saying, this blazing, blinding light. The high priest in the Old Testament wore a breastplate around his chest with 12 gemstones. You guys remember this? It's the picture of... Um, Jesus, as our high priest, being one with his people. Everywhere the priest went, this went. He, he literally carried his people on him. It was, he was one with the people. So there was, tw- there was uh, what was it, three rows of four or four rows of three? Three rows of four, I think, of the 12 tribes. It was a unique stone for each one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you guys ready for this? This is about to get good. The very last stone in the breastplate was Jasper. And the very first stone was Carnelian. You guys ready for this? Okay, so the first and last stones on the breastplate are the two colors that exude from the throne. I think this is amazing. Reuben's name was engraved on the final stone, and his name means, behold, a son. The last stone had the name Benjamin engraved, and it means, son of my right hand. Jasper and Carnelian both speak of sonship. The two stones of the breastplate both deal with sonship, from behold a son to becoming a son. So sandwiched in between the revelation, uh, sandwiched around the throne room is this revelation of sonship from where you start off until you finish. The throne room is the sons and daughters room. The carnelian stone is a blood red stone. It speaks of God's throbbing heart of fiery passion. Are you guys seeing? These are pictures. These are symbols. These are virtual realities that we're getting a picture into. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Emerald is a color of life. It's green. Uh, The the picture is actually of a halo shining around. It's a full circle. It's not just a half circle. It's a full circle uh, coming out off of the the throne. The emerald rainbow points to God's mercy and covenant love. Remember, he gave the sign of the rainbow to Noah, signifying he would never again destroy the earth through a flood. And so the rainbow around the throne would be a clear symbol that everything God does that's coming from this throne of majesty, this throne of power and dominion, is surrounded with grace and mercy. I mean, just drink in these realities. Just feast on these word pictures. This is, this is rich stuff. Revelation 4.4, 4, and around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the, 20, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white, with, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads, okay? 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones. So we got at least 25 thrones in the throne room right now. The throne is the center of the universe. It's the governmental hub of the cosmos. It's where the Lamb of God governs and extends his glory and the beauty of Jesus across the universe. I read this. There's, uh, scientists are saying that uh, they, uh, they have known at least 200 million galaxies right now. 200 million galaxies, 200 million star systems that are known in the visible universe right now, okay? And the center of that is this throne. What are we going to do? I guess we get to rule and reign in those. I guess maybe we just get a couple galleys. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but it's going to be amazing. <clears throat> I want you to look at how the 24 elders are described. Seated 
clothed in white garments and crowned, okay? Now, guys, are you hearing some echoes in other places of Scripture with this description, right? Who else do you know that's been seated, clothed in white, and crowned? You guys already got this answer. Jesus and you. And guess what? He's in you. You're in him. You've been made one. So guess what? Do you understand when I say that you are part of the 24 elders? 24 is not an exact number. It's a symbol. This is a book of symbols, right? It's not really... Uh, there, uh, I mean, there's a couple ways you can look at it. 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, all the saints of the Old Testament, all the saints of the New Testament, all the saints for all time are represented in this 24 elders. I'm good with that. I'm totally fine with that. It could be the 24 priests uh, stationed uh, from David's First Chronicles 24. The 24 stations, I forget what they called them. Um, there's a different name than stations, but uh, orders or something like that. But the, um, yeah, yeah, I, could, I, could, I could take that one too. But the 24 elders are a picture of you, plus all the saints of all times. Ephesians 1.3 says believers are described as seated in heavenly places. If you're seated in heavenly places, where is this? You're on a throne in the throne room. Right now. Guys, how many of you know there's a lot of things that happened in our spirit that we have not yet experienced? Israel had the promised land. It was all theirs by promise, but they could only uh, take by authority, but take possession of that which they were able to steward. Okay, that's a picture of our salvation. Everything is ours instantly when you said, thank you, Jesus, I trust you. The moment you got saved, all of these realities, and so now he's inviting us into, out of the outer courts of the, of the sacrifices of the blood and, and uh, of, of, of the washing, and then inviting us into the candlestick realm of the gifts of the Spirit and revelation and worship, and he's inviting us to go even deeper into the throne room where you are already seated. Of course, I believe in heaven and a heaven in the future. We need a new heaven and a new earth. But the message of the Bible is now at this present time, you are seated in heavenly places. These elders, they're clothed in white garments. White in the book of Revelation consistently speaks of righteousness. Revelation 19.8, it says specifically, the white linen is being the righteousness of the saints. So not only are you seated, but you're robed in the righteousness of Christ. The law says you must die for your unrighteousness. But now you get to be rewarded for Christ's righteousness and have access to sit in the throne room, the very presence of God. So we've been enthroned, we've been robed, and we've been crowned. Uh, there's seven different crowns that a believer can get through the New Testament. Uh, this one speaks of a victor's crown rather than a king's crown. It was the, it was the a crown that was given. Instead of gold medals, they got victor's crowns in the Olympic Games back in Bible days. It speaks of the victor's crown. It is the golden crown of the overcomer. All right. So you've been enthroned, you've been robed, you've been crowned, and now you are one of the 24 elders with full access to the throne room. How are we doing? All right, that's four verses. Lord, help us. Verse 5, from the throne room came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning, were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. So the flashes of lightning, that's echoes of, uh, of Mount Sinai there. But one of the characteristics, um, so when the, with the giving of law, was there was flashes of lightning. When Jesus came, the flashes of lightning now not pre don't represent the giving of law. They represent the destruction of the powers of Satan. Remember Jesus, he sends out 70. And as they begin to extend the kingdom, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. 
Whenever you go out in the ways of God, you are demolishing the devil's hierarchy and dismantling his throne, and it is as if lightning is striking. So the flashes of lightning are God demolishing demonic power for light years around his throne. And before the throne were the burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. So the seven torches of fire are the seven spirits of God. If God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can be three in one, the Holy Spirit can be seven in one. And so we looked at this in chapter one as the seven spirits of God from Isaiah chapter 11, spirit of wisdom and counsel and might and the fear of the Lord and knowledge. And I can't remember the other two. I didn't even write them down. Look them up. Hebrew, I think it's Isaiah 11. I think it's like verse six right around there. Seven is the number of fullness. Uh, seven spirits of God. This is seven branches of the lampstand there. Verse 6. And before the throne, guys, yeah, I have to forgive me if we move through some of these. We'll just, we'll never get through the chapter. There's, there's so much on every one of these things. And so I'm, I got a little wrestling match going up here. So if I look like I'm tortured, uh, I'm okay. I'm just, <clears throat> I just don't want to give too much. Verse 6. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So what is the sea of glass? Here's an idea. Throughout scriptures, the human race is seen like a troubled, surging sea. Throughout scripture, many times the people are compared to a sea. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, James chapter 1. But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, Isaiah 57, 20. Later in Revelation, John sees the beast rising up out of the earth, where was man created? Out of earth, and out of the sea, the sea of humanity. All right, so we're kind of giving away pictures. The beast is that beastly nature that God's going to conquer inside of you. Mark of the beast, you already got it. You're getting rid of it. Don't worry, all right? All right. So here's the picture. If humanity is this raging sea, before God, the sea is perfectly calm. It's at peace. When you're in the presence of God, you are going to experience peace. It may have been a prophetic act to the point where, uh, to point to this sea of glass when Jesus rebuked the storm and it became perfectly calm. I got some good news for you. He wants to rebuke the storm in your life. Not that you will never have a storm, but you can have peace in the midst of it. You can literally sleep in the midst of that storm. I believe he gave us a picture of that heavenly throne room of bringing heaven to earth when he rebuked that storm. <clears throat> Two times John sees the sea of glass in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> What is glass? Glass is sand that's been heated by fire so that it's melted down and it flows together so that the identity of each uh, grain of sand becomes lost and it becomes crystal. It becomes something else. As we come into the presence of God, uh, uh, Revelation 15.2 says, the sea of glass gets mingled with fire. All right? We are melted into the, by the flame of his love and we become something else. And the sea of glass with fire represents the purification that we enter as we come into this throne zone. So there's this peace, but when in another picture he sees it, he's mixed with fire, there's a purification process as we come in. I believe that's where it points us to that picture of the laver and the tabernacle. Uh, the water basin, the priests washed their hands in from the blood sacrifices. Uh, again, it was polished like a, like a mirror. So whenever they were coming into the presence of God, they never came apart from uh, seeing themselves apart from the blood of Christ. Peace is the atmosphere of heaven. Verse 6, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox. This should be sounding familiar. The four encampments around the tabernacle. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. 
And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These four living creatures, they had eyes to see into different realms. They could see in front of them. They could see into the future. They could see behind them. They could perceive history from heaven's perspective. They could see within. They had this, uh, this amazing ability for perception and revelation. You might be a living creature. I could go either way on this one. I'll just present it to you as this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. New creature. It's possible to say from the Greek, a living creature. You may be around the throne as a living creature. Okay? I'm okay with that. Okay? Here's another thing it could be. Okay? We're going to get to the four faces here. The four faces mean what they mean. Um, another interpretation could be these are some of the cherubim around the throne that were on the curtain in the tabernacle. And the, uh, the, so here's the four faces. The four faces of the living creatures are a reminder of what God is going to do in our lives. So it's either, uh, so we're going to see that these are four different phases. These are four different dimensions of what God's going to do with you. The lion, the ox, the man, and the flying eagle. Okay. So these are a constant reminder of who God is making you to be. So this may either, this may be representing you as a person. I think it could be more likely that they're actually angelic creatures. They're cherubim. And they're, uh, and they're representing, they're reminding you, they're reminding God in heaven continually of who he's making you in to be. These are four aspects of Christ. Are we okay? You can pick which one. Again, I, it's not about being right. It's about being wowed by him. Okay? So whatever these four living creatures are, I want you to get what these four faces mean because that's all about you. The lion speaks of royalty, strength, and power. All right? The lion is the king over all the beasts of human nature. Lion's called the king of the beasts. When we come to Christ, we submit to his kingship and lordship over our lives. And what happens? He will devour our sins, that beast nature, that flesh nature, and there'll be nothing left of the old humanity. In order for you and I to be fully transformed in the image of Christ, we must experience Christ as the lion of Judah who will devour our flesh and our humanity. That's one phase of what God is going to do in you. You experience him as the lion. Here's another phase is the ox. The ox is the symbol of servanthood. It was the largest and most useful of all the domesticated animals. And uh, historically, it's been the beast of burden. It could plow fields. It could uh, pull wagons. It can be milked. It, it can give meat. Uh, it gave everything of itself. With the face of an ox, Christ revealed and manifested himself as the compassionate servant of all. So as you experience him as king and you surrender, one of the things you're going to be doing is you're going to become the compassionate servant of all. You know, it's not wrong in the Bible to want to be great. But Jesus tells you how to do it. He says, if you want to be great, you're going to have to become the servant of all. And so that's when you're going to experience uh, Christ, the, the ox anointing. You're going to experience him as the ox. He's going to make you into that very being. The man, uh, the man is the man Christ Jesus. This is the face of Christ, the mind of Christ, the revelation of who he is. He's growing you up into be the full stature of everything that Jesus is. I love how Brian Simmons says it. He says that everything you love about Jesus, he's making you into that very same thing. And when you're in that throne room experience and the lion roars and the ox is plowing in the servanthood, you will become the mature one. What separates man from the animals is knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. So as we grow in this man anointing, becoming the person of Jesus, we're going to grow in the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of Jesus. And Ephesians 4 says we'll be built up into the full stature of a man. Who's that man we're being built up into? Jesus. 
This is one of the faces of the four living creatures. The flying eagle. How are we doing? We are almost done. <clears throat> the flying eagle is a picture of the overcomer. No longer bound by earth, this is one who doesn't live by the rules of religion, but soars into the heavenly realms. Guys, there's a place beyond the candlestick realm. There's a land beyond the sea. There's a place where we soar, where we fly in that realm. The flying eagle is a flesh-eating bird. Isn't that interesting? It soars higher. It's uh, one of the few birds that eats flesh. So that realm, it just devours the things of your flesh, and it soars above them. Here's some good news, guys. You and I are that flying eagle company. We are his eagles. Uh, even God said to Israel in Exodus 19, look how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. How are we doing? All right, we just got a few more verses here. This one's real quick. Revelation 4, 9 through 11, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before him saying, worthy are you, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. What do we see in heaven? Ceaseless praise and worship. The worship comes from the living creatures, which causes the 24 elders to bow down. It's interesting. So Jesus rewards you with a crown for doing something that he gave you the ability to do. <laughs> it's like, he's like, I know you can't do this on your own. I'll give you my strength. Oh, good job using my strength. Here's a crown. And then we give it back to him. And he gives it back to us. And It's a boomerang. Yeah, there we go. I like that. Verse 11 is one of the uh, 14 hymns of the book of Revelation. So just keep your eye out as we're reading through the book of Revelation. There's these songs that are being sung in heaven, and this is one of them. All right? So that's it for Revelation. We went through 11 verses. We did pretty good there. I want to encourage you guys um, to look over these images. I, you know, I gave you a, a sheet for a handout there. But let me just ask you this. Let's, let's end like this. Where in your life do you need to realize that God is in charge? Any area of your life where there's not peace, where there's distress, where there's maybe a habit that you're having a difficult time breaking, a sinful habit, a worry, whatever that thing might be, I've got some good news for you is that you, have already, uh, you already have the throne inside of you, and now Jesus is knocking on the door and saying, listen, will you come up higher? Will you come into this realm in which you're already in? Will you experience where you're already sitting? Are you guys seeing there's, there's mysteries? I mean, uh, the, the theologians call it the language of accommodation which is where God will use human language uh, to describe spiritual things because our brains would blow up if we try to understand spiritual things. And so it's not literally <clears throat> a throne, but it's a place of authority. And so he gives us a picture of a throne. And so uh, and Jesus in Matthew 13 said, Jesus never taught anything except in parables. Why? What was he doing? He was using the language of accommodation to teach spiritual things. That's what the tabernacle was. It was the language of accommodation. That's what Jesus was. It was God coming in flesh so we could understand what God was like. So here's what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, I don't know if you need to jot this question out or if you can just get it, but um, just between you and the Lord, God, where in my life do I need to realize that you're in charge? You are on the throne. So I want you to just take a moment and just let him speak that to you and let these realities wash over you.
Whoops. Just between you and the Lord, want you just, uh, whatever he's revealing to you, I want you to just pray that out. I want you to just turn that situation over to him. Whatever's causing you stress, lack of peace, whatever it might be, uh, just let him uh, turn you into that sea of glass. Why don't you do this? If you're comfortable, why don't you just uh, share with the people at your table and uh, maybe just ask for prayer. If you're not comfortable, that's okay. But um, if you are, just say, hey, this is an area where I want prayer. And just say two or three sentence prayers for each other. And so I uh, don't have everyone pray at the table for one person. It'll, it'll take too long. But just, or maybe just partner up with one or two other people. That'd probably be a better way to do it. Partner with one or two other people at your table and just, um, hey, this is where I'm kind of needing God to show up on the throne and just uh, pray for each other and then we'll close it out.